And all God's people said, Amen. We thank God for His precious Word. It is our guidebook through life. It will help life a lot, make life a lot easier if we'll learn to follow His precious Word. It is great to be back with you. Our trip to Africa was incredible. And I really want to encourage you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll be doing our team report. And I promise you it will be worth hearing God did some miraculous things in Africa, and you will want to be here at 6 o'clock in our sanctuary for our team report. Now today, we begin. Do you all realize that four weeks away, we're looking at Easter, Resurrection Sunday, isn't that incredible? And we want to begin a, a four-part series today entitled simply, I Am. I Am. And we're going to base it on John chapter 14. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, and as it indicates on the sermon sheet, we're going to take a look also at Mark chapter 6 today. I am. You know, it's incredible. I don't know why David particularly chose that wonderful song, but it just ties in so well with the introduction of this message. You see, John chapter 14, I guess for years now, I have used it virtually in every uh, funeral service that I do. If the person is a believer, it fits right in. If the person is lost, it fits right in. It's one of the most powerful scriptures and statement about Jesus Christ. And I think it's so important we understand today just who Jesus is. He begins in John chapter 14, verse number 1, with these simple words. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be be troubled. They made reference to the fact that often we have storms, we have difficulties in our life. In the case of the disciples, several things had happened. Just about a chapter earlier, Jesus had busted their bubble. They had signed up with Jesus on the pretext that he was going to be the king, they were going to be the princess. Therefore, it was a good deal for them to sell everything they had and follow this man named Jesus Christ. And then he told them, Guys, I'm the Messiah, but not as you're expecting. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be murdered, and they're going to nail me to a cross, and I'm going to die. And that just like blew their minds, because that is not what they had in mind at all when they signed up to follow Jesus. And of course, he went on to say that I was going to be buried, and on the third day he was going to resurrect. But they didn't hear that part, because their hearts became troubled. Just a little bit later on, the same guy who they had signed up, who was going to be the king, the same guy, they they said, we're going to allow you to wash our feet, Jesus? Yes. He took a towel and began washing the boy's feet. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the guy that they had signed up to follow, wanted to wash their feet. In fact, Peter was so offended, he said, not so, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, oh, Peter. I must wash your feet or all you can be done of mine. And then Peter said, oh, well, in that case, Jesus, wash all of me. And then Jesus said these words. One of you. One of you who have walked with me for three years. One of you who have seen the miracles. One one of you has seen the dead even come back to life. One of you is going to betray me. And that rocked the world. In fact, it led Peter again to say, well, let me just tell you something, Jesus. I can't speak for the rest of the guys, but I'm going to tell you something. I'll never betray you. I'll never deny you. And then Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny three times that you know me. Her hearts were troubled. Things, hey, can you identify with this? 
things just hadn't turned out like they thought they were going to. Ever had a, a change in your life when it just seemed like God kind of did a crazy Ivan on you? Things just didn't turn out. The marriage didn't turn out. The kids didn't turn out. Your job didn't turn out. The career didn't turn out. Things just went awry. To that, Jesus responded and said, Let not your heart be troubled. Adrian Rogers once said, Really, you can sum up men, you can sum up the state of man and where he's at with three words. Sin, Sorrow and death. And you think about that. The whole problem of the human existence. Three words. Sin, sorrow, and death. The truth is, all the things that we experience in life that we count as negative, as bad, are the result of sin. And because of that sin, often we have sorrow. And ultimately we die. And Jesus would say to us today, let not your heart be troubled. In fact, he went on and said, Now, you believe in God. You believe in God. And that's so assuring. Because in their concept of God, even as limited as it was, they understood several things about God that we even understand today. That God is all-powerful. Come on now, that there's nothing on earth that's more powerful than God. No set of circumstances. There's nothing you're going to encounter in your journey that is bigger than God. How incredible is that? He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He's omnipresent. That means that He can be with me in Africa and you in Harrisburg. And He's not ever overwhelmed about it. So don't let your heart be troubled because the God that you, you want to know is bigger, more powerful, and more wise than anything you can imagine. Oh, oh, oh. But there is a problem. Because not only is he all-powerful and all-knowing and, and everywhere at one time, he is extremely holy. He is beyond perfect. The brilliance of His character would blind men if we could ever comprehend the holiness of God. And see, Jesus, the, Jesus would say the problem is, is that He is all those things and He is holy and, guys, you're not. In fact, you're totally depraved. Well, what's that mean? That means, spiritually speaking, you're a zero. It means you've got nothing to take to God and say, okay, God, I want to invoke your power and your mercy and your grace in my life. Here's what I bring to the table. Here's what I want to trade you. And you've got nothing to trade. So as much as believing God sounds like a great concept, there's this huge gap. There's this wall and it's called sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous. No, not one. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't stop there? Because he went right on and said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Because you, say, you see, in me, there's a gap builder. A gap closer. There's a bridge builder. Because the reason I have come to this world is that the gap between holy God and simple man can be Paved over by my death, by my sacrifice. I am willing to pay the price, the ultimate price, for your sin. Because I love you. The great part is, 
you can come into relationship with that God that you want to invoke in times of hurt and healing and darkness. You can have a relationship with Him. But it's not by good works because you have none. It's not by church because God really is not too impressed with church. It's by faith in me that I can bridge the gap. And then he goes on and says this. This is the song. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare this place for you. If I go and prepare this place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you or take you back with me. You see, when, 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 the, when the gap is closed, when the bridge is built between holy God and simple man and those two are come together because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you have hope in this life. But you have hope in the life to come. There's a glorious place called heaven. And it really is a reality. Amen? It's not wishful thinking. It's not a place we think about to make this life more tolerable. There really is a heaven. And there really is a God. And there really is His Son, Jesus Christ. And for those who place their faith and trust in Him, we'll live forever there. There's hope. There's hope. Even though, even though things don't turn out like you think they were going to. Even though you're not going to be a prince of this world because your king is going away. Even though you will ultimately be, many of you martyred for me, there's a dwelling place. There's heaven. And then Jesus said, Now guys, you know where I'm going and you know the way. The where, heaven's too broad. The where is the presence of the Father. He said, I'm returning back to my Father. The where is the presence of my Father. And the way is me. It's me. Thomas missed it that day. I always say when I do a funeral, I always, I see him raise his hand. Uh, yes, Thomas, yes, go ahead. Uh, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And that's when he said it. He made the most incredible claim of any human being ever made. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. I'm not one of several ways. I'm not a way. I am the way. How incredible is that? And today I want to talk to you about those first two words. Because you've got to understand the first two words to really grasp what Jesus was saying. Jesus was no Muhammad. Jesus was no Buddha. Jesus was not one of the many gods of the Hindu. Jesus is the sole person, in quotes, to ever live on this earth who said, I am God. 
I am. It all begins back in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was being called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. So he and God are having this discussion, or rather a debate, about the job requirements and Moses' qualifications and, and all that goes with that. So finally Moses said, you know, God, if I choose to do this, if I choose to go get the children of Israel, they're bound to say, so who exactly is it that sent you? Because you see, they haven't heard from God for 400 years. Things God-wise have been really quiet. All the children of Israel that are alive now have are stories that have been passed on about a God they knew little about. So God, if I'm going to show up and there and say, Hi, my name is Moses, and, and I'm here today to help you out of Egypt. They're going to say, well, exactly who are you? You look like a common shepherd boy to me. And so, who am I supposed to say sent me? And God said, I was going to say God thought a minute, but he didn't think about it. God thought and said, tell them, I am that I am sent you. Of which Moses kind of said, huh? And he said again, tell them, I am sent you. The best thing we can ever do is quit apologizing for God. That we've got to have some kind of big explanation about how God did it and who God is. God says, no, 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 you miss it. I am. Take it or leave it. I am. I am. I've always been. I am now. And I always will be. I am. And when Jesus said, I am the way, those two words are crucial. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. He's all those. But as the sermon sheet title says, he's something more. I am. I am God. In John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is, was God in the flesh. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a man who could do miracles. He was a miracle worker. He was a good teacher. He was a prophet. But he was God and is God in the flesh. No one else makes that claim. No one else dare make that claim. I love John chapter 8. Let me read it to you. It's pretty good. Jesus was having his regular debate with the Pharisees. In verse 53, the Pharisees said, Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, verse 54, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Verse 55. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. 
The Jews got laughed. The Pharisees laughed and said, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, say most assuredly, say without a doubt, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Go back, my Pharisaic friend, he would say, to the furthest that your mind can stretch. If that's creation, that's fine. I am. Go back to the Garden of Eden when Eve fell. I am. Go to the flood where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and Jesus would say, I am. Go to Moses, lead the children of Israel. I am. Go to Jesus calling a little shepherd boy named David to be the king of Israel. I am. Go to the prophets of the Old Testament and they will tell you, I am. Jesus is God. I am. I am. I am. And that changes Everything. You see, when I am shows up, it's a game changer. I don't know what went wrong with Kentucky, but the game changer wasn't there. I think Brent said something like they played like freshmen. Was that what the word you used? Sorry, Kentucky fans. But the game changer didn't show up. I want to tell you something. In this game we call life and eternity, when the game changer, I am, shows up, things change. Take your Bibles, please. And turn to Mark chapter 6. What an incredible story this is. Now, the background of this is Jesus just fed fish and chips to 5,000 men plus women and children. Some say around 12,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish, Jesus feeds them. Now that's pretty impressive, amen? I mean, we do a pretty good job with the potluck at Dorisville. We always say, if y'all bring double, we can feed anybody who shows up. Jesus said 5,000 men plus women and children that day. And that would impress the people so much, there was kind of a danger that they were going to take Jesus by force. And that sets up the story that you're about to hear. The Bible says, immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, he made his disciples to get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. Would you say with me, he made them? He made them. Now, what you need to know, and you're going to find out in a verse, but you need to know now, is that, get ready, younger people, there was a time when there wasn't the Weather Channel. I know, I know, you can't imagine life without the Weather Channel, okay? But there was a time when there wasn't a Weather Channel. And, based on common knowledge of that day, what's fixing to happen would catch anybody by surprise. But Jesus was the weather channel. He called the shots weather-wise. In fact, the Bible says about Jesus, He made this whole thing, and by Him all things are held together. What I want you to understand is, 
He directed them, and that is the force of the word made. He directed them to get into a boat, a boat that very quickly will be in a very bad storm. Why in the world would God, Jesus, do that? Why does God allow storms in our life? Why does it seem like we want to say, well, surely he didn't mean to do that. Surely he had a bad day. Surely he was on vacation in Florida. Surely he was asleep at the will. But the bottom line is if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, he allows some things in our life that are sometimes difficult. And we're going to see why, part of the reason why that's so. He made his guys get into the boat to go to the other side. Now, Now, say go to the other side. You know why that's important? Jesus never lied. And when he told them to push off on this shore, there was a promise, Brent, that they were going to the other shore. That no matter, come on now, no matter what happened in between, from the point A to point B, they were going to make it. When you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that was your launch point. There's coming a time when you will stand face to face with Jesus Christ. That is your end point here. In between, there may be some storms, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Why? Because he said so. You're going to make it to the other side. Someone say amen. Get in the boat and go to the other side. So, so he knew what was coming. He directed them into the boat. And what did he do? The Bible says, after he said goodbye to them, he sent away the people and went up on a mountain to pray. Why a mountain? Why pray? May I give you a little bit of opinion? I think it was a mountain, maybe close to God, but I think a mountain because he needed an advantage point for what's fixing to happen. And to pray because some of the folks he deeply cared about were fixing to go into a storm. Can I just rock your world a moment about your Jesus? He is in heaven making intercession for you. He's praying with the Father for you. He he is acting on your behalf from heaven's perspective. And Nothing. Would you say nothing? Nothing's going to happen to you and catch our father or our, his son by surprise. Nothing. So he goes up the mountain and begins to pray. Then the Bible says in verse number 47, When evening came, when night began to fall, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was on land. Now, you want to check something out? Every time the boys get separated from Jesus, it's never a good situation. So he's on land praying, and they're in the midst of the sea. And look what happens. The Bible says, 48, and he saw them. Remember that vantage point? He saw them. They're probably, watch this, they're probably three or four miles from land. And he sees them. Miss Bennett talks about good vision. 2010. Here he sees them in the evening shadows, perhaps even night by now, and he is able to see them. And what he sees is exactly what he knew he would see. The Bible says he saw them being battered as they rode. Because the 
wind was against them. Would you like to guess what the word battered means there? Tested. Tested. See, it was not an arbitrary choice by Jesus to send the boys into the storm. They had just witnessed a great miracle, and now it's time to test the teaching of the miracle. In order to be tested, they had to be put in a place where they could be tested. And that was the storm. Not all the time. All the time we can learn. But why does God allow storms in our life? That good old-fashioned word is sanctification. To give us opportunities to test the knowledge that we have learned about our Savior. To learn to trust Him more. To become more like Him. And they were battered. Why would God do that? Are you ready? God is a whole lot more interested in your holiness than your happiness. If God was all, if all God wanted in our life was for us to be happy, every one of us would have well-paying jobs. We would never get sick. We would never have a pink slip in our future. All our children would grow up with perfect teeth and scholarships. Is that reality? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You know why? Because we live in this imperfect world, yes. But God sends tests along the way to learn and practice what we've learned in Him. To trust Him more. So the winds were battering them, and the wind was against them. And I like this, about 3 o'clock in the morning, the King James Version says, the fourth watch. By Roman time, that's from 3 at night to 6 in the morning. The darkest part of the day. The Bible says, He, capital H, the I Am, came toward them, Walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. At the darkest time, at just, may I say this, at just the right time, here comes Jesus walking on the water. That's incredible. Was he late? Right on time. Was he early? Nope. Right on time. The darkest part of their night. You know when God's going to show up most likely in your storm? The darkest time. He determines that darkest time. It may be months in the making. It may be making years. It can be decades in the making. But you write it down. He ain't going to show up late. And He's not on that mountain sleeping. He's on that mountain interceding for you. I know. We like the part about never a storm better. Unfortunately, that's not biblical. Try Reader's Digest. Those good heartwarming stories, they turn out pretty good in the end. So here we have our Savior. Walking on the very thing that threatened them. And you see those words? And he wanted to pass them by. It, was, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, there's the boat right there, you know, and they're all like rowing and stuff, you know, and she's going, zippity doo da, hey boys, zippity day, my oh my water one. No, 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 no. No, it's like, it's like when Moses, 
wanted to see God. And, 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 and then God said, God said, well, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by you. Come beside you. When Elijah was called out of the cave in the Old Testament, that story, and he's called outside the cave, and God passed by alongside, that's the picture. Jesus was wanting to come right alongside them. He's always there at me. Take your darkest hour. Come on. Come on, believer. Take your darkest hour. And there he was. Look back. Look back to your storms. And you go, Dwayne, I forgot about that, but you're right. He was never late. And he always passed by. Right beside me. Right beside me. Verse number 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. What, what, there are two things that scared them. What was this? He ain't supposed to be walking on the water. They left him on the shore. Let me tell you this. If they looked off the bow, or the stern, stern's back I think. If they looked off the stern and saw Jesus rowing, they wouldn't have been terrified, would they? That's just what they expected. They, they would expect Jesus to be in a boat, rowing, just like they're rowing. Hey, boys, you want to get my boat? Come on, let's go. I'll row. But he did something unexpected. He walked on the thing that threatened them. And because it wasn't what they expected, it terrified them. Now listen to your pastor. Sometimes in the darkness of our storms, God shows up in a way that we don't expect. And if we're not careful... That cannot lead to faith. It can lead to fear. What what do we need to do? Trust God. No matter how He manifests Himself, no matter how He shows up, if He uses the medical doctor to heal your brother or your sister, praise God for Him. If He does a miracle and heals the body, praise God for Him. But when He shows up in the storm, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But Dwayne, it's outside my tradition. You've got to come back tonight. We saw a little girl fall 20 feet out of it. No, we didn't see it. We, we received the little girl after it happened. A little girl fall, fell 20 feet out of a tree on her head. And I'll leave the story there because Matt's going to tell it. Come back and see how God showed up. It's tremendous. He shows up in your life every day. Just, if it's unexpected, don't let that lead to fear. And then he speaks. When he sees that they're afraid, and the word ghost there is the word ghost. Not only is it holy ghost, ghost as in Casper. They're like way afraid because they thought they were seeing literally an apprehension. Oh, I can't say that word, it starts with an A. A ghost. I was going to say Aborigines, but that's the guys in Australia. <laughs> well, they all saw him and were terrified. Now, watch this, watch this. Immediately, as soon as that he saw they were terrified, not of the storm, but of him, immediately he spoke with them. And here's what he said. Have courage. 
King James. Be of good cheer. Of which Peter probably said, first off, Mr. Ghost, we are afraid of you. We don't think. And secondly, be of good cheer. Have you looked around, Mr. Ghost? Do you not see 30-foot waves and an open rowboat? Yeah, we're fishermen, but we're scared to death. Have you not seen the circumstances that we find ourselves in? Be a good cheer. How come? It is I. Literally, in the Greek, I am. You know, you can have good cheer because God just showed up. And I don't care what you're facing in your life. When God shows up, you can have cheer. When God manifests Himself in all His majesty and power and strength, knowing that Satan quivers at His sight, you can have good cheer. Jesus says, you can be courageous because I am. You can have good cheer. Because I am. And they said this. You don't have to be afraid. Because as I read in Psalm 53. The psalmist said these words. This I know. God is for me. God's not. Listen. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You are not some kind of a. Just making in the corner child. If you've experienced God's grace. God is for you. God is for you. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you want God for you, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He invites you into the family. Now kids, I don't know, listen, I don't know what you're facing. But I'm telling you from God's Word today, when God shows up, the situation, as David said, gets better fast. We don't have to be afraid. He's not... That kind of ghost. He's Jesus. He really bled. He really died. He really walked on earth. 100% God. 100% man. Wow. Incredible. Look how it ends. Then. He got into the boat with them. You gotta like that. I'm here to tell you what I've been trying to speak for about 35 minutes on is Jesus wants to get in your boat. All you, a little bit more than Baptists out there, Jesus wants to get into your boat. That's about five. Jesus. Wants to get into your boat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now watch. Stay with me. Watch. Because when Jesus gets in the boat, the wind stops. It's a perfect picture. Jesus says, let me into your life. Let me into your circumstances. Let me into your situation. And guess what? The storm's over. Why? Because he's I am. He's not just an old Jewish boy from Nazareth. He's not a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's God. If God shows up, 
The storm's over, folks. He got into the boat and the wind ceased. Now here's the hard part. And this is where a lot of us live. They were completely astounded. They were like, whoa, how about that? Now, the Bible tells us why that response wasn't entirely appropriate. Because here's what it says. They were completely astounded, verse 52, because they had not understood about the loaves. See the word understood? This is so cool. In the the Greek, the word understood means put together. Put together. They understood that they had bread somehow for 5,000 people plus women and children. But they hadn't put together that Jesus was God in the flesh. And that Jesus, as God in the flesh, fed 12,000 people. They hadn't totally made that connection. Hence... When they got in the storm, they were afraid of the storm and afraid of Jesus because they hadn't put one and one together and got two. And the reason why is, the Bible says, their hearts were calloused. One of the definitions, their hearts were petrified. Their hearts were hardened. See, the feeding of 5,000 wasn't just a big potluck. The feeding of the 5,000 was a demonstration that Jesus was, I am. So he puts them in the boat to go into the storm and realize this. Boys, I know these are some big waves. And I know Jesus isn't here. But Jesus said, get in the boat here and you're going to the other side. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to do a miracle way or whatever, but I know this. If Jesus said, start here and go there, somehow or another, I'm going to the other side. Because He is, I am. And if we can reach a point in our lives, as we grow in our faith and trust in Jesus, we may have to admit, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. You may testify to your friends, I don't know how He's going to do it, what He's going to do, or how He's going to do it. But I'm telling you this, He said, I'm going to the other side. And that is good enough for me. Jesus, as the I am, died for our sins. And friend, if you're here today, you may have tried other religions. I don't know. They always say if you tried the rest, now try the best. I don't know. I'll just tell you this. Do your homework. Get on the computer this afternoon and Google all the world religions. And here's what you're going to find out. That they all depend on us trying to do our best. And hopefully in the end, we either A, get recycled, reincarnation, or B, there's a giant scale. And if the scale is different in our order, we might make it to heaven. You will, if you Google the claims of Jesus Christ, and I hate to use the word by will, Christianity, you'll find out this. There are no giant scales. For by grace, you have been saved. How? Through faith. And even that's not of your work, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God became flesh and died on a cross that people like you and I could have forgiveness of sins in relationship with God. 
And if you've never done that, we want to give you the invitation today. We're going to have an opportunity what we call a decision time. And Brother Brent will be standing down front. And I'd love for you to walk out. I hope you've got enough information today to do this. Just so you all can say, okay, Brent, I want to know more about this guy I am. I want to know the, the man who is God. I want to invite him into my boat. Can you tell me how to do that? And we've got some friends who will exactly show you how to do that. Now, if you've already got Jesus in your boat, trust him. You may not understand. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts, declares the Lord. But he did say this, Get into the boat, and I'll see you on the other side. And Jesus has never lied. There may be some bumps along the way. There will be some storms along the way. But don't be surprised in that storm if I am shows up and the storm is over. Today, a lady at our church, Jane Franks, is going to be attending the service of her baby brother who passed away. A storm. I am going to show up. We've got a dear brother down here in Paducah who just finished his first chemo, J.R. Reynolds. Stage 4 leukemia, or lymphoma. I am there. Got a brother over here who's going to have the bulk of his colon taken out with, with some cancer involved. I am will be there. Some of you are facing, you college kids, you're facing huge life decisions. I am wants to be there. Your, your, your marriage is really on the rocks. I am says, let me crush the rocks. You're uncertain about your future because your company may fold and you don't know how you're going to provide for your family. I am says, let me step in. And again, like I said, ultimately at the very beginning, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Holy God, the God-man, I am, says, have a relationship with God through me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you bow your heads right there, please? I wonder what would happen if the men's, the boys' fear was so great that they said, Get away, Jesus! I want you to go come in the boat! Get away! They'd have had to endure that whole storm by themselves. They would have made it to the other side. But they'd have had a whole lot of gray hair to show for it. Does that ring a bell with anybody here? I can handle it, God! I can do it, God! Let I am into your boat today. Invite I am into your life today. For some of us, it's been decades. I want to tell you something. It's been an incredible journey. He's never failed us once. And speaking on the authority of God's word, he will not fail you. Now, God, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. Jesus, thank you that you are the I am. You are God. Father, I pray for my friend here today who's never had a relationship with the Father because they've never allowed you to forgive their sins, accepting what you did on the cross. I want to pray, Father, that today would be that day. That today they would step out, Jesus, and trust you, the I Am. 
for my friends, my brothers and sisters as we go through journey and some are either coming out of a storm or in a storm or facing a storm. Help us to learn, Father, that your son Jesus, the great I Am, will come alongside of us, beside us, and walk with us. Please, Father, speak to hearts today through your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious